of segue into this because we were talking about horror movies yeah. and um, I don't, for me it's interesting because like I'll have a lot of people ask me because they know you know that I watch a lot of movies mm-hmm. if I like horror movies and I'm like yes but I have to put a big asterisk by it because I feel like horror movies are a lot like heavy metal in that there's a lot of it made and 90% of it is trash but um, and you know you were oh, talking yeah. earlier or about how like you know a lot of filmmakers get their start in horror because it doesn't cost a lot of money to make it and there's kind of a built in audience if you could just That's say the greatest thing about it. you can just say oh there's a new horror movie opening this weekend and you're gonna have a certain amount of butts and seats just because of that yep. and um some of them won't care if it's good or bad. In fact, some of them some will of them love it more if it's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. yeah. Um, and heavy metal is kind of the same way. But so I like both of those things. But I really like it when it's done well and to a very specific standard. So like, I'm like I like horror movies, but most of the horror movies I like, you've either never heard of or people are like, oh, that's not very scary. Or uh, it's well, more like the psychological. But psychological horror films are, are personally my favorite. Or I was it was really funny, like you know, we were talking the other day, Lisa and I were watching movies and uh, and I was like, Oh, I can't watch that one. She's like, Why? And I thought, I can't watch the conjuring. And, right. and she's like, Really? And I'm like, Yeah, I can't it's too scary. Yeah. Which makes me laugh. Yeah. I think it also comes from the fact that I once lived in a haunted house, but I tried watching that movie and I'm like, you know, 35 minutes into it freaking out going I'm not going to sleep tonight this right. is terrible right uh, and whereas the flip side you know you can watch the you know super over the top cheesy stuff like give me gore or whatever right. somebody with a chainsaw machete right knife you know right. I, I don't you know cheese grater it's it, it, hey that hasn't been done right <laughs> it's kind of a good idea that is a good idea but uh and that stuff won't scare me, but the stuff that it's like a ghost and aliens right there, can't do it. Right. Scariest movie I've ever seen. Did you ever see uh, The Fourth Kind? No, but that was a scary movie. Um, I gotta remember the name of it right now, but it was based on Communion. Yes, yes. Yeah. Still to this day, scariest movie I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. And it's about aliens. I don't think when they did it, it was intended to be a horror film. Right. I didn't sleep for two days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, by the way, this is the For the Love of Film podcast. Uh, I'm the host, Scott David Chase. With me today is uh, filmmaker Michael Venn. You're the first... No, you're not the first returning guest because Greg and Bob have been on this podcast as well. But that's okay. Uh, You're one of... You're one of only two people who's been on more than one of my podcasts. I want to so. be on all of your podcasts right. all the time. Right. Well, I mean, you'll have to <laughs> you'll have to come to Newfields when we record uh, the um, the News of Our Demise podcast. That is the that is the filthy podcast. I will but. gladly join on that. Perfect. Uh, actually, and it's really funny that we are talking about film or whatever in horror film because I have this whole idea for a horror film that I've that a friend of mine and I had to, had he's got some ideas and I actually came up with a whole backstory intro like five minute short film that could be a short film and the piece before the credits you know the opening title sequence right. which made me laugh and I was like oh god and I really loved it yeah. and then I had to tell somebody you know wrote it all down and everything like that Yeah. and they're always like whoa you came up with that I'm like oh yeah they're like that's pretty twisted I'm like nice. thank you Yeah. but uh, but I was going to draw a comparison over one thing that you said that totally made me laugh is I don't know it's like a segue into my brain. I was walking the dog this morning, yeah. having some thought process about uh, heavy metal and punk rock. Yeah. Being that I fall into the punk rock category, right. not the heavy metal category, right. even though I have listened to both and jazz and you name it, everything under the... But 
I was like, I had this thought. I was like, you know, punk rock kids and heavy metal kids are like the same kids. It's just the heavy metal kids get really good at their instruments right. in their bedrooms. And then they start playing in a band, and they work really hard, and they they perfect playing their instruments right. alone, and then they bring them to an audience. Yeah. And punk rock kids go, uh, we have three songs, and, and we know how to play five chords, and you can play that one drum beat, so we're all going to get on stage and do this in front of all of our friends, right. and eventually we're going to get better. Right. But they're both the same kid. Like, it's just that different segue. Like, one started playing in their bedrooms, the right. other one started playing in front of their friends. Well, it's funny, because it's basically, like, heavy metal, the the most like the most esteemed thing in metal is to be incredibly proficient at your instrument <laughs> where in punk it's the opposite it's the sort of like yeah. if, if the wheels are about to fall off the, the car that's even more punk rock that's than if you're good rock. at it and then the, all the different genres because there there's a there's a no pun intended a Venn diagram yes. of punk and metal where different bands fall into and it's like depending where on that you are with the how good you are at your instrument depends on how punk or metal you are yeah I mean you know Rancid and Metallica kind of started in the same area at the same right. time right one of them are much well they're both actually very proficient in their instruments these days yeah but there was a time when you know not so much they both played at uh, Lollapalooza 96 they did I yeah. remember that one yeah. that, was a, <laughs> um, that was a weird one it was and it's funny because I, so I was thinking about this too and how it relates to film yeah and I was like oh no I mean I've always approached that with the punk attitude of, well just do it just do it yourself just right. go go make a film and then screen it for your friends and you can figure out really quickly if you're good or bad right you know what I mean? Right. And then you put yourself through an emotional roller coaster about it, and then you and I have conversations about it in the bathrooms. Right, at, exactly. At the music hall, yeah. you know, after a screening, which is always very funny. You're like, how long ago was that? Was that two years ago? Two? Yeah, two years ago. Yeah, it had to be because I didn't start the film <laughs> podcast until after I came back from my long yeah. road trip. Yeah, and because this one that I just did, which was much shorter, was just about two years after that so it seems like every two years i'm, I'm doing a, a a road trip of some sorts so <laughs> i think i think the the alaska trek is going to be in 2021 so nice i was trying to do it before my 45th birthday but i don't think time and money wise it's going to work out that way you never know you never know you never know. i mean so I, I just think it's funny. I look at films the same way. Like, there's a recovery period after you make a movie when you're sure. never going to make another movie again. Right. And then you go, oh, I got this great idea. Right. And then you kind of go, oh, all right, right I'm going to jump back into that. Right. So hopefully this, in the next two years for me, I might have a, doc, a feature doc. I'll definitely have a feature right. narrative film and probably a, a, a short right. narrative. What's funny because, you know, we on the way over we were talking about films and make and like because I do I'd say of my creative stuff I do visual art the most you know most often and trying to switch gears to to work on uh, a film next year but I've really kind of on the back burner for the last five years have been working on a, a narrative film and I was like okay this is the this is the thing I'm going to focus on next year but the, you know what I was talking about with the documentary I was like ah, this is a story that I really feel I need to tell and people need to hear mm-hmm. um, and I'm kind of pursuing that full force but I was like I'm sure that'll also fuel the desire to do the, the, the narrative one as well Yeah, uh, but it's also I feel like 
it's easier, and, I, and I, I'll probably sound very naive saying this to someone who's made several documentaries, <laughs> but I feel like making a documentary film, as far as the actual nuts and bolts of shooting it and gathering stuff, it's a little bit easier than doing a narrative film. <laughs> it's, it's you're, you're 100% wrong, yeah. 180 degrees. Yeah. Just because, so you, 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 documentaries are a thing that it's like there's a story there and you have to figure out how to tell it. Right. So you end up getting compiling all this footage right. with all these different people right. and all these things and then you have to pull the story out right. that you're going to tell. And so it's just, it becomes this really weird like searching thing right. where you're like, oh, how do I link all these stories together? Although I will say that's been my experience in documentary filmmaking because I've always done it without like there's no narrator. It's like right. I, you know, real people telling their stories and using those you know what I mean? Like you, you're, right. you're allowing them to speak their storyline throughout the whole thing, and not, you know, go, oh, I'm going to show this clip, and then have a narrator over this beautiful B-roll that right. like explains the story to everybody, right. which is, in my mind, easier. Although I've never done it, but I always feel like when you have a script to go by, you're like, okay, cool, we're shooting these six pages. Sure, today. sure. You know what I mean? Hey, okay, we're shooting these eleven pages today, and you know where you're going and which locations and how you're going right. to shoot it, and you have a shot list, and there's so much pre-production so then you go film for three weeks and then okay cool or six weeks or 12 weeks right. depending on your budget and your right. the scope of the whole thing whereas you know I, every documentary I've ever done it's like okay this is like two years of my life right that you're just like in, immersed in it right and uh, it, which is also why I think you know, somebody like Ken Burns man like the amount of of research and, and pre-production and then like you know but you know anybody that does docs Especially now, docs are really huge, which is kind of cool. Right. But there's a lot that goes into it, and I, you know, and there's a lot of a lot of footage that doesn't get used. That you go, man. You know, I think of my own films, and you're like, man, that, right? What, why didn't we use that? Oh, right. because it didn't fit into that story that we were telling. But oh, that's really cool. I'd love to pull that out and make right. it short. I mean, I actually thought about, you know, taking some of the stuff that either is in the heroin effect or never made it in, and making just a short film out of that just right. to, uh, that's completely it's a different film but just because I was like oh man that, there's that other chunk of a story that would be really cool to right. tell but then I but was like but it's not part uh, of the larger arc or it, it, right. it doesn't <clears throat> yeah there was interesting because there was so Cameron Crowe did a documentary about Pearl Jam love that movie um, <laughs> the Pearl Jam 20 yeah. but on the DVD release so there's two different versions of it the, the like the deluxe edition there's the regular film which is like 95 minutes mm-hmm. and then there's the extended cut which is four hours long so it goes down all those little paths which is I think is smart to do because he knows who the audience is and with yeah. a band you have a built in audience for it who there are going to be some people that will see it as a film just because Cameron Crowe's a dis- you know, yeah. a, a respected director, and they're like, "Oh, yeah, I'm familiar with Pearl Jam," but I think a, I think most people um, who are not diehard fans probably Versus and maybe Vitology is when they trailed off with that band, mm-hmm. and they're aware that the band's still around, but um, so they might have an interest in it. But then there's the diehard fans who know all of the main story and want to hear all the little side roads and detours oh, yeah. and stuff like that. So, which going along with. What we were talking about before about the idea that I'm trying to work on, I was like, well, I would probably because I think I think with documentaries, the editing has so much to do with the oh. final story, and you know, yeah. having having spent a little time editing for the for the vampire movie I made a dozen years ago, <laughs> um, you know, we shot for 
think five weeks you know sporadically mm-hmm. and then I edited with someone for about ten weeks so it's just you can it, you're never done editing right that's the scary thing like editing's that thing where like I was never an editor until the last film and then all of a sudden I'm like yeah I guess I can say I've edited a feature film you right. know what I mean and, right. and then you do that and you're like okay it's made me like a better editor or at least it's helped me become better than I was prior to right. I won't never claim that I was a great editor or anything like that but you you learn how to tell stories better and then you also learn while editing right how important editing is because you're like the second director right you know what I mean it's like it's like you can you can direct this amazing film and, and give it to an editor and then the editor can totally screw it up right or the editor can take a crappy film and make it amazing right and, right. uh, and it's and, and, and you're lucky if you fall somewhere in between those right. two things I think and uh, but editing is like it's such an art form yeah. and it's hard and if, if you know you find editing's a thing where like I find myself editing and yeah. then all of a sudden you it's like you step into a black hole time warp something or you know and you, you're like you start someday and it's, oh it's one in the afternoon and I gotta, gotta work on this edit the next right. thing you know it's 2.30 in the morning right. you're living on coffee right. and you're right. like this is this isn't what I you know and you're and you're and you're like 47 steps behind where you were when you started right but somehow through that process you end up getting leaps and bounds ahead of yourself right it's a it's just a weird i don't know like i love editing and then it scares me it's a cruel mistress it is it is so just, much so it, it, it oh yeah well that was like <laughs> that was the thought that i had this you know i spent about two hours while i was painting this morning thinking about this thing that you know, we talked about getting into it and i was like because I was, because it's a documentary, I'm like, I'm gonna have to, like, literally probably gather a minimum of probably 50 hours worth, and it'll probably be way more than that. And I was mm-hmm. like, I'm gonna have to edit this fucking thing down. Oh yeah. Do I want to do that? I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. Am I gonna do it? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I will. And and you and when you do it too, the funny thing is, is if if you're there when everything when you know when everything's being filmed and. Uh, that's the one thing that's great as opposed to like giving it to an editor and have them pull the things out because if you were there and you remember these moments you're like okay I know what I'm going to use right and if you the smart move here's my word of advice when you film and then you're dumping that footage immediately go find those clips that you knew that when you were in doing the interview or filming stuff where you're like this needs to be in there this needs right. to be in there. and then being able to like link all those things together because right. it's just, it's stringing everything together you know and then sometimes you go back through the footage and you're like oh that wasn't as good as I thought it was right. or there's something else that you're like oh my god right. how did I miss that gem when I was just sitting there like sure. I didn't realize that that was you know well I've even I've even had that with you know with the the other podcasts um because I don't prepare a list of questions beforehand, it's just a conversation, and sometimes, and, and I'm very much in the moment when we're talking about it, and then I'll go back and listen to it later, and I'll be like, I didn't even realize we were getting in depth on this. Like, mm-hmm. not that I'm not paying attention, but you're just kind of living in the moment, and then when you have time to sit back and reflect as a listener, it's it it, it gives you a whole new perspective on what you're talking about. Oh yeah, and I mean, and I applaud you for not preparing questions. I always thought that was the greatest thing, like when you when you're doing a doc and you yeah. show up at people's place and you don't really know them or they do it very casually or, or whatever, and you're gonna be like, All right, we're just gonna sit down and they're like they expect you to have a list of questions and you're right. like, Okay, so when was the first time you know, and you're gonna read off this list of things right. and instead you're like sit down, you're like and you and you just start I mean, I can't tell you how many times um, I would sit down with people who are very uncomfortable being on camera telling a story 
were talking or it was their first time, you know, being in that kind of thing and they were exploring something that was very traumatic to them or whatever this, you know, thing is or a great period in their life that they were reflecting on or something. But when you sit down and you're like, I don't have a list of questions. Like, you and I are just going to hang out and talk. And it could be 20 minutes, it could be two hours. But at the end of that, I hope that you forget that there is a camera there and that you and I just have this amazing conversation and you tell me something that you didn't think you are going to talk about or that you've never told anybody. Right. Like, those are the moments that you're like, cool, this worked. Yeah, that's, I mean, and that's like, I had that happen a couple times early on when I started doing that podcast that was just like, okay, I'm going to keep doing this. And I... It's funny because if I go more than, like, a week or ten days without doing one, I start getting squirrely because as much as, like, but like I feel like I get as much out of it as anyone listening, if not more so, because I'm, I'm very selfish. I primarily do it for myself. It's just, like, I enjoy talking to people and, like, because everyone has interesting stories, whether or not they think their stories are interesting or not. Um, but I've had that, you know, there were a couple, like, moments that just talking to people that they told me after the fact they're like I've never talked to anyone about that before and um, and a lot of times it's very personal stuff mm-hmm. um, some of them were people I've known for a long time and they're like I'm just comfortable talking with, with you which is great and some of them was I've met people and become friends with people who listen to podcast and have reached out to me and be like hey I really like this would you ever be interested in talking to me and I was like sure and I mean First and foremost, anyone who, because it's the, putting yourself out like that, is is a difficult thing. So regardless of anything that I know about that person, I'm like, if you are taking that step to say, would you be interested in talking to me? Yes, I am. Yeah, because you have something interesting to say. I don't know necessarily what it is, but we'll sit down and talk. Yeah, and so. you'll figure out what it is. And, and you're right. By somebody reaching out to you, it's, it's immediately like, oh yeah, they want to talk about something, and then yeah. this is going to work out really well. Yeah, and. Uh, it, you know whether or not it's on camera or on tape you right know? like right. I, I love the fact i don't know i mean podcasts are cool and they've grown so much so quickly right and it's it's it almost it's a really good um sign of the times in the sense of like people will sit and listen to a two-hour podcast yeah or drive and listen to that i mean and and i think it speaks to the fact that like there's a lack of that kind of interpersonal communication going on in our world today. Absolutely. Like, everything's just these quick little snippets, whether it's Instagram and it's short, you know, Facebook stuff and it's short, you know, it's just these little, little, even our attention span um, for news and, and media and consumption of all that stuff, and then all of a sudden you've also got, yeah, the people watch, you know, a, a two-hour documentary. Right. Or they'll, they'll listen to a three-hour podcast. Right. You know, and, um, you know, I, I've gotten to the point where I love music and I'll listen to music in the car if I'm driving anywhere under 15 minutes. Right. As soon as it's over 15 minutes, podcast. Right. You right. know, and it's constantly like you, you talk to friends and like, oh, have you heard this podcast? You're like, no, I'll like, oh, check it out. Yeah. You know, and then you find yourself like going down that rabbit hole of like listening to different podcasts by different people about sometimes you'll go find one that's just got somebody in it who you like and then you discover this new podcast. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I always, I don't know. I love them. They're great. One of the things that's been interesting to me is the audio versus visual format because <clears throat> twice this year, people that I've talked to who um, I was asked beforehand, they're like, it's audio only, right? No video. And I was like, yeah. Um, they're like, cool. Because so-and-so, happy to do audio, doesn't want to do video for it. And I was like, that's interesting um, how. And, and both times there were people who are musicians who are in the public eye who at the the performances that 
the podcasts were recorded before, mm-hmm. plenty of people took their pictures. So it was, I was like, but I, I think it puts people at a different, like, I think when people know they're being filmed, it, it puts them in a different mind frame. Whereas yeah. I guess recording, like, it, at least it's not a, the giant eye looking at you. Right. And I mean, there's, there's a different level of light. Uh, depends on how private of a person you are. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, largely a really private person right and uh and and if i was if we were doing this on camera i'd probably be a little bit less sure maybe i don't sure. know because i'm always on the other side of the camera right. so when i'm when you know when people take pictures and stuff like that of stuff or whatever i'm always like oh i'm great right i mean i like being on the other side it's just easier i don't want to look at me you know it's, i don't feel i feel like no one wants to look at me right oh i i i can definitely relate to that because like whenever like, I take a lot of pictures, but I don't take a lot of pictures of myself. And certainly, like, whenever I see pictures of myself, I'm like, oh, God, yeah, that's upsetting. But, yeah, you know, like, whatever. But at some point, you go, I think I learned a while ago. I was like, you know what? Someday, hopefully, I'll be some old man. And I look back and go, huh, why was I stupid and that self-conscious? Like, right. I should have cherished those moments. Right. And, again, I still won't sing karaoke or dance in public. So. Right. You know, well, it's take for what that's worth. <laughs> for me now, it's like it's it's like it's more like a humbling thing than anything else. Especially where like you know like going through like weight loss journey this year. You're like I'll yeah. like sometimes like I'll be walking down the street and I'll catch my reflection in a store window. I'm like, oh okay, I'm not unhappy with that. And then like uh, just because it was Halloween a couple days ago, and <laughs> I did a I, I did a a, a uh, joint Halloween costume for the first time in my life with a friend of mine and. She absolutely killed it, but I was just like, there's a bunch of pictures of us together, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh god, that's, yep, still got still got a ways to go for yeah, myself. But, okay, but. as somebody on the outside who's right. known you throughout all of this, right. uh, every once in a while I see you and I'm like, whoa, dude, it's right. like it's especially when I haven't seen you for like a couple weeks, right? You know, if like if I haven't seen you for two weeks and all of a sudden I see you, I'm like, whoa, right. man, it, it's like it's sometimes it's jarring. Every once in a while, there's like those little plateau moments that you overcome, and then sure. I'm like, holy crap, man. Yeah. Like you look great, and it's yeah. like it's, it's definitely a noticeable change for and, sure. Uh, and I always, I don't know, man. Like I always tell you, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I'm always like, I have to tell you because I'm like, man, no, I definitely appreciate like, it's, it's funny it's noticeable because it's, really it's like I don't like I'm not very good with compliments, anyways. I mean, I don't know very many people who are. It's I mean, it's difficult, but I I do appreciate it, and I like for anyone who's given me support, and there's been a ton of people but um it is definitely appreciated every time and i know some people are like i i, I don't want to be like you know awkward to that person like i they might be self-conscious about it. i'm like no I, I appreciate it and like the primarily the reason that like i'll post about it from time to time is the reason that like i got my ass into gear was because i saw a couple people i know but more importantly a bunch of strangers that i followed on instagram who posted about their journey and i was just like okay, they did this, I can do this too. So I'm just like, well, hopefully I can kind of, you know, pay it for someone else, even if it, and I've had a couple people that are like, dude, I started doing X, Y, and Z because of posts. So I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. So, well, I mean, there's two things that you do that I am, I'm a huge fan of and I, I wish I, I admire you for. Okay. Maybe three. <laughs> Cause one of them is the fact that you actually go out and, and, and you put yourself out there Yeah. It, 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 with your weight loss journey and everything like that. I think that's awesome. I think 
your daily gratitude thing yeah is I, I feel like everybody should do that and reflect on their day and do and I always feel like I try to do it and then I don't yeah or I do it in a less much less public way right. but the fact that you do that every day and, and I've noticed that and you've been doing that for over a year what well, kind of like and it's I, great I I, I, I it's kind of shifted a little bit, but I was, cause I used to be like the highlight of the day, but I was like, I was thinking about it in the last couple of months and I was like almost every, like I can look at anything that I consider the highlight of the day. And it's because of somebody in my life that I'm grateful as a part of my life. And I was just like, I just, let's call a spade a spade. And I was kind of going back to the whole thing about people telling people that are important in their lives that they love them. Absolutely. Um, it's just like we all like whenever we get negative feedback be it at work uh, critical of something we create or whatever doesn't matter how many positive things you hear you're going to focus on that negative one but I I don't know I just think in genuine encouragement and appreciation is something that is in short supply in everyone's daily life and it yeah. but it pays off in dividends I know I've had many life-changing moments that have, like, changed the course of how I looked at certain things just based on some positive feedback from someone that I respected, who I knew cared about me, but I also knew was being genuine. Um, And so I've had so much of that affect me over my lifetime that I was just like, all right, I, I need to not be so self-conscious about, like, what, what I put out there and I'm just like because even if even if it doesn't really matter to that much to the person I'm grateful to which I'm sure it does but it can be affecting someone else yeah. as well so well there I mean here it affects me I right. was told I probably never told you that right. in our multiple conversations right. that right. we've had that sometimes are super random and other times are me just going dude I need new music tell right. me something right um or film or whatever right but uh yeah no every time I see that I'm like I, it makes me happy to know that you're accentuating a positive thing and putting that out there because we live in such like this negative feedback loop in our society sure, sure. that the more positive out there the better and it's and it's really funny too because I always talk to people whether it's about you know filmmaker friends or whatever we're hanging out and talking and stuff like that and sometimes it's really easy to like um listen to other people uh talk negatively about something or or and, and I'm not just talking about filmmakers in the right. sense um, but you know you just hear various things within the arts so you know what I mean or, mm-hmm. or, or people and, and my first thing is always like hey listen the reality is man that person made a movie or right. that person did a painting or that person wrote a book right you know what I mean so first and foremost like kudos to them because right. you that's something that people set out to do that never accomplish right you know record an album write a song right you know uh, anything like that so when you when you put that out there it's like man that's awesome now then again sometimes you go see a movie and you're like well that one didn't connect with me at all and I don't understand how did that movie get made you know which is always very funny I'm kind of almost leading to our topic of conversation because I'm so curious about it and and uh, which uh, which Uh, which, no witch. No witch. Which, which. I right. always think it's funny when people pronounce the, the V's 
Right. Cause yeah, because I've explained to like I've had a couple of people be like, "Why would you spell it that way?" I'm like, "Well, that's actually how the movie's the spelled, old but also English that's, version." Of, yeah, I was like, "It's just two V's next to each other." That's yeah. how they made W's back then. Back in the day, they right. didn't, they didn't have a special way to make a W. They just said, "Hey, that looks like two V's." Works. There you go. I mean, I love the the Spanish word for the letter W is doble V, which is double, double V. v. Yeah. Yes. I uh, and then we say W, which is just kind of funny. Right. We're just like, right, but. All right, so we're going to talk about the movie because I, 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 I've thought about it a lot. Right. Whether it's in, and uh, for those who don't know that are listening to this, because this is the film podcast, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. I was yeah. like, wait a minute, which one are we? Right. Two seconds, I forgot. But so the movie, The Witch, when it came out, and I don't know if you saw it at the New Hampshire Film Festival a couple I, years ago. No, I didn't. So I saw it there, and I actually drove down to uh, Brooklyn, New York, to Ooh. see it because it wasn't playing around here yet, and yeah. I was like, I have to see this movie. Well, it's cool because like I look at it and I go okay Robert Eggers guy from Lee New Hampshire right. played in bands in, in Portsmouth you know what I mean yeah. like he had a history in the area and so when you know they screened it here I thought that was really cool and uh, I remember watching the movie one the scariest trailer I've ever seen as far as trailers put together this right. trailer for that movie made me want to watch that movie so bad yep uh, so that was awesome the research the way it was filmed everything about that movie I loved until the last five minutes and then yeah. it lost me yeah you know and I tell people that and they're like well how can you do I'm like because it just didn't like I, I was prepared to go on a journey right and it, when I when that journey didn't go where I was prepared to go with it I, right I was I felt like I wonder if it's, I wonder if which point uh, <laughs> uh, are you talking about the very last scene the, like, or? like literally the final three minutes of the movie like the very last scene when she goes out to the woods she goes out to the woods yeah I don't feel like we're giving away too much at this point no and also the movie's been out for a few years so but it's funny because that that part is almost anticlimactic to me it's the scene where she's in the barn and because for those not familiar it's a it's a psychological supernatural slash spiritual horror film and it's not even a horror film right I think that's the greatest thing about it and even and I admire Robert Eggers one for getting the movie made and doing it so well yeah and 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 telling and it even says it's a New England fairy tale right so it is and, and the amount of research that like he I wish I knew him I wish I could talk right. to him whatever the amount of research that he put into doing it and getting it accurate and period correct and, and where they filmed it and how it was shot and the look and feel of the whole movie and the pacing is, is all great right but it it just left me wanting like a different ending yeah and I would love to and, and I know that he prides himself on not explaining endings of films right and he's like well no here it's up to you you know right. and I'm a, you know it's one of those things like you make art you know what it's like you make something and you think it's yours but as soon as you show it to anybody else or allow anybody else to hear it read it see it, it doesn't it's, no longer, it's not yours yeah. anymore it's yeah. theirs and, and you have to be okay with that but I also as a filmmaker feel like well, you know I want people to understand what what my ending what my version of that story was yeah and they can take it and do whatever they want right but I'm here's what I was intending <laughs> you know I think it's interesting because I can because I wasn't 100% happy with that scene either but I look at it in the same way that I'm like like Appetite for Destruction to me is one of the greatest rock and roll records of all time it is but there's too much cowbell in it keep going right but also, so it's 12 songs, but it would be pretty much a perfect song if it was a little, 11 songs instead of 12. Um, there's, Which is the one song that uh, you would get rid of? I'm trying to think of the name of it now. I was trying to think of it right as it was leading up to it. It's 
the second song on side two. It's right before Sweet Child of Mine, but it's uh, uh it's driving me nuts. And someone's listening right now and be like, "You idiot!" It's, but it's the one song that I feel is a clunker on the album. And like, and I, you know, I have weird feelings about uh, the whole term uh, uh, filler songs because. I mean, Sweet Child of Mine is the very definition of a filler song. They just, Slash was playing that guitar riff. Yeah. And uh, they're like, wait a minute, what's this? And that was never supposed to be a hit, much less, like, the song that broke that band. But, and it's uh, a freaking uh, obviously uh, great song. I mean, it's not, it's not anything like, goes. It's, uh, uh, it's the one song that I'm just Think like, About You? No. Sweet Child of Mine. Oh, no, it is Think About You. Yeah, it is Think, think About, about you. you. I'm just like, eh. I mean... It's not the worst song they've ever done, but it's also it's like it's the only song that's when it's when I'm listening to the album, I'm like, I can't wait for this song to be over so I can hear the next one. It's really funny. I haven't listened to this album probably in a very long time. Yeah. Like this is a style of music I grew out of at some point. Right. You know, I remember when this album came out and I freaking loved it. Right. It's kinda like, you know, when Pearl Jam ten came out, start to finish, perfect album. Right. I will honestly say this one also, start to finish, perfect album. Right. And even even the one song that you don't don't like, I look I like read the track listing here and I yeah. was like immediately in my head I can hear Axel yeah. singing it. Yeah. And and remember where I was. I mean I remember learning to play all those songs on drums. Right. Know, just sit you know, sitting in my head you know, in my bedroom in high school with headphones on, like just banging away on the drums yeah. and being like, this is freaking brilliant. Yeah. It's a great album. It's so much fun. And uh yeah. It was it was like the perfect timing of like the amalgamation of like punk rock and like some weird glam thing that was going on. Right. It's like, yeah, there's the hair metal thing going on and these guys tried to get pigeonholed into that, but realistically those dudes were all just punk kids that were right. like But that was kinda like my my love of I'm sorry, I'm looking at a guy over there because I thought it was Derek Archambault for a second. Oh, that would... Wow, yeah, it kind of looked for him. And then we... Or looked like him. Yeah. We could totally have yeah. invited him over like, here. Like, like, but he doesn't live out here anymore, but... We, doesn't he? He moved back. Didn't they? Did they move back? Well, not to the seacoast, but... Well, no, they did, and then they left again, like... Unless oh. they've moved back again. No, I could be wrong. Yeah. Because yeah. this was post having having the child. child. Yeah. Um... Anyway, uh, we're all over the map, which is which is fine. Um, but I feel like, despite not being a hundred percent satisfied with that song, I can still look at it as like, oh, I love that album. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of look at it the same way with the witch, even though the last five minutes, eh, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know. I just, you know what it is? Here's my thing with that. Oh, actually, I'm just going to say this: the Clash, London Calling, mm-hmm. amazing album. Yeah. Rock the Casbah. I could never hear that song again in my life and be totally okay with it. That's probably the first Which song, is Clash song that most people hear I too. Know. So it's sort of like, and it's the one song by them I cannot stand. That said, I would love for some if somebody could explain to me the end of the witch that makes sense for me. Mm-hmm. I think I would like the movie more. Right. It just it ended in a way that like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, we're gonna go to a fire in the coven and everybody's gonna fly up into the. Right. I was like, I. I'd, no, I mean, let it be a, 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 a freaking. Somehow, give me a hint that this is the the girl's freaking. She's obviously lost her mind, gone a little bit crazy, and right. this is how she's interpreted interpreting this it. Yeah. Whole thing, but since there was never any, that was never given to you. And I respect Robert Eggers as a filmmaker. I think he guy's brilliant in the right. fact that he did all that and then left it up to people. Me as somebody, I'm like, I can't, I can't, you can't leave me like that. Right. Like, I want to know what your vision was and why right. it ended this way because uh, it's it's. It's 
brought me to a point of like I loved your movie until it ended and then it made me not like your movie anymore right which is annoying and yeah. I, you know and, I, and again going back to what you were talking about we, we were talking about before we started rolling I'm like just the fact that you made a movie <laughs> right you know what I mean like that's amazing right like I can't fault anybody for telling a story putting together a movie that's that, that does so well um, which then brings us to the lighthouse right which now both of us have seen right and again, because you reached out to me oh, God, maybe yeah. a week before I saw it, and you're like, you're like, I want to talk to you about it. So I, you need to see it so we can talk yeah. about it. Yeah, <laughs> and it's funny because I've had a few friends who have similar tastes in movies to me who saw it like around the same time or a little before me, and overwhelmingly, a lot of people are like, oh, "It's a disappointment. It's a disappointment." Um, which for me, it wasn't. Interest- wow. Oh, good. This yeah. is what I was hoping. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I was so excited. I think I was, you know, Lisa and I went to go see it, and and I was like super excited. Right. We were like the fifth people in line, right. you know, and waited to get in to go see the movie, and you know, uh, saw it at the music hall on the opening night when it was only you know at the New Hampshire Film Festival. And, right. Um, and I was so excited to see it, and then it's it's like it kept going on, and I was like less and less and less impressed with the movie right and and I think it's because you know the guy sitting behind me was talking about you know how he writes for uh, an Oscar related outlet and was seeing the movie for that purpose and that there's a lot of buzz about it so you know having paid attention to the film for a while and then a lot of the buzz about it within oh there's a definite Oscar contender for whether it's you know picture of the year or acting acting and and stuff like that and I was like oh man okay cool and then you hear the stories of like oh this was filmed on an old camera with old lenses and old film stock or whatever it was I don't really remember but you know they they, you know you hear all those things and it's like oh okay great and this is going to be a a cool trip and then I just had these weird things where I was like I what what, you know and in the end I, I felt let down by it although the fact that I'm still thinking about it right. and we're talking about it right. leads me to say that if if you don't like a movie and yet you're still talking about it, you must actually really like the movie. Right. Or at least it made an impact It made on an impact, you. yeah. Like, one of the greatest things, like, in my own experience is after the, the premiere of The Heroin Effect, we had that big screening and I had somebody meet me afterwards uh, and sit down with me and tell me how much he hated my film. Yeah. And how much it, and, but we talked for an hour. Mm-hmm. And, and just how he was like, how, you know, and, and I loved the fact, and I sat there with him and I said, listen, man, I appreciate the fact that you did not like and you felt comfortable telling me everything about him, what you didn't like about it. Right. I said, what I love about it is that it made you think differently than, it challenged your perspective right. and that's right. really cool. So, getting back to the lighthouse. I thought there were awesome acting moments. Right. Like, Willem Dafoe just killed it in certain scenes. I was like, sure. Jesus, man. But, you know, the aspect ratio drove me nuts. I was like, why am I watching a film on Instagram? See, what, <laughs> I, what I liked about that, and I think, and I, I know, I mean, clearly Robert Eggers did it intentionally. Oh, it was, totally. For one, it made it look like an old film because yeah. that's how the aspect ratio used to be. You yeah. know, like, I just, because it was just October, I went through, and usually every October I'll watch a bunch of the Universal Classic Monster movies, and I have a box set with them, and um, most of them are in that aspect ratio, which drives me nuts when I'm watching it, but yeah. I'm like, but that's how it was shot. But also, I also feel like he did it f- for that, but also 
to make it intentionally claustrophobic. Yes, I've read that yeah. about that. And I mean, because that's how smart. I felt the whole time. I was just like, God, I'm watching a movie in a box. It's like, yeah. And you're stuck in a lighthouse. Yeah. You've got your characters who are stuck in a lighthouse. And it was also, uh, so what kind of contributed to the atmosphere, too, I saw it over at the theater over here, and they told me beforehand, because it was raining the day I saw it, and they're like, the heat is broken in that theater if you don't want to see the movie. And I was just like, no, that's fine. Because um, interestingly enough, I saw, the second time I saw The Shape of Water mm-hmm. was in the same room, and the heat had broken, you know, a year and a half ago or two years ago, whenever that came out. That's fine. And I took a friend to see it, and She's like, do we want to see this? I was like, it will actually contribute to the atmosphere of the movie because mm-hmm. the movie's mostly in water and you know there's you know water everywhere. And the same yes. thing with this movie. So it was, I was not, I was physically not comfortable the whole time I was watching this movie. And but it was it contributed to the film as well. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I. How do you feel? Did black and white affect you? No, I love black and white. Yeah, I mean, it looks great. Um, It looks amazing. Yeah. It freaking looks... It's... Like, it's almost because... Okay, so I I do understand, like, the choices. And and if you think about it as, you know, filming, there's nothing that you see on screen that was accidental. Mm -hmm. Everything was a choice. Everything was... And it's a really really gutsy choice for a filmmaker, especially today, to say, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do a black and white film in a one-by-one aspect ratio which is, a, you know, we're going to harken back to the old days. We're going to do all this stuff. Um, like, I appreciate the choice. I just wanted it because of the... Because you could have made it this... You could have made it just look really great. Right. But I do understand the reason why. Yeah, yeah. it's a claustrophobic film. Right. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I get it. It just was like, oh, God, I bet there's, there's a potential for so much more. But then, you know, they do... They shot it that way in old camera and lenses and then but also there's cgi right you know and so there's part of me that like watches that and goes well if you're going to shoot with old lenses and an old camera or however why don't go the old school film technique way and, and embrace that route sure but then i also go well but we have the capability of doing it better with cgi right. so okay right i get that right so i mean well it was like uh i mean going back to jurassic park uh you know 25 years ago um 26 years ago now. Jesus. It's um, a Because originally, all the dinosaurs were supposed to be stop motion because uh, Spielberg wanted it to have that Harryhausen kind of look to it. You know, Jason and yeah. the Argonauts look to it. Yep. And there is a... There actually is some puppetry in it. And it's not all completely CG like a lot of people. Like, particularly the scene in the kitchen where the velociraptors are hunting the children. Yep. Most of that is puppets. Most of it is not CGI. It's basically filling in the seams when they're walking and stuff that's CGI. But, mm-hmm. um, but the other amazing thing is, because that was the first movie where they had a fully realized CG characters moving around. There had been CG characters like, oh, yeah, for a scene was... or something. So they're like, it has to be 100% sold. And you watch that movie now, and it holds up 100%. And you watch movies made two years ago, and the CG looks terrible because we've gotten lazy with it. So yeah, I think it's a great tool to... But if it's the only, like... It's the only tool on your tool belt, it's, you know, it's, it's not going to work. Right. And I agree. I mean, I think... Going back to Jurassic Park, um, you know the, the part with the Velociraptors chasing the kids around the kitchen. That is a scary scene. That that, right. that plays into the fear and the oh, right. like there's a lot of tension and obviously the score. Uh, right. You know, John Williams doing a score for anything, and right. you're guaranteed to win an Oscar for that, right. uh, in my mind at least. And then, but it, you know, so that, and then also, I think the other scene is when they have the Tyrannosaurus or the Triceratops that's like laying down, and it's also it's like a Stan Winston, yep. you know, yep. done. 
um, puppet as well. Like, you know, it's a practical, not CGI. Yeah. And I think it adds to the humanity of that moment. It's like, oh, here's a yeah. here's a dying triceratops, so to right. speak, and it's sick, and we're trying to figure yeah. it out. So I think that, you know, obviously Spielberg did something genius there, of course, sure. in a film that's kind of still... Old. Although, I will say, a friend of mine's told me a story about his dad when he he went to go see Jurassic Park, and he was like, Dad, what'd you think? He's like, eh, you know, and he goes, Dad, but the dinosaurs were super real. He's like, how would I know? I wasn't around then. Right. And I was right. like, oh, it's kind of a really funny way to look at it. Right. And, sure. And since that's been made, like, we, they discovered that dinosaurs just, had feathers. Yeah, they had feathers, <laughs> not scales, and, you know. Yeah, and, and in my mind, I always like to think, you know, people think, you know, like the, the sounds of that the dinosaurs made or whatever and, you know they yeah. hear roaring sounds and they you know the, the guy that did the, the audio for it was like oh it's we're going to mix together the sound of a lion and an, an elephant and a whale right. and we're going to do that and how do we know the dinosaurs weren't like hey Bob right <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean or those were all mammal sounds like yeah. um, there's a video that I discovered recently that um, yeah I've shared with a couple friends it's you might have seen it but it's a bunch of baby crocodiles there's probably 40 of them in a bathtub and they're just making chirping noises but together with the, with the acoustics of the bathroom they sound like laser guns from a sci-fi movie it's because a couple of people are like why did they put those sounds over that i'm like no no that's, that's what, what they, they sound, sound like. like um and as they grow their voice voices deepen yeah. but i was just like yeah it could be something completely like that rather than like a roar it, that we're used to oh yeah but, or it could be sound more like a bird right call of sorts all right back to the lighthouse yeah what so my favorite part of the lighthouse which i've told a few people about and i don't know if this is a spoiler but i I think we were a little bit too obsessed with spoiler uh yeah culture and 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 if if you're think you want to see this movie and what i'm about to say spoils it and you don't want to see it then you're enjoying movies for the wrong reason but um the (laughs) way that they did the physicality of the mermaid in it was just like amazing to me because it was like oh, if this was an actual living creature, like, this is more realistically, like, probably what it would look like if it was actually a half-human, half-fish type of thing with the gills and the side and everything like that. And then yep. the, 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 the sex organ, because that's the thing, always, like, we've been obsessed with, like, you know, man being obsessed with mermaids for forever. I'm like, well, how would that work in an actual uh, carnal relationship? Yeah, I mean, well, then again, you can also go with the fact that it's the, the when, when the mermaid split from the two-tailed mermaid to the single-tailed mermaid. Right. And, you know, all of the historical, yeah. you know, aspects of mermaids. Which is appropriate which are, since we're drinking Starbucks coffee yes. at, at not a Starbucks, at but a Barnes & Noble uh, offshoot. Um, yes, well, yeah. But it is. It is super appropriate as far as our mermaid tale. It was interesting because when I was in Montreal last weekend and there was a there was a Starbucks up there because there's Starbucks everywhere now. Thank God. Um, but there's a uh, <laughs> they had a like realistic stencil painting on one of their windows of of the Starbucks logo, but like a very realistic like accurate two-tailed mermaid but it looked like a human there and I was like oh that's nightmarish yeah that's why they go with the cartoonish one for the logo they kind of have to because you know the siren or mermaid as we call them right not exactly you know the sailor's friend uh, you know or what was the other name Selkies no 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 there's another one named too siren Selkie Harpy no, harpy's different. different harpy's yeah. a, a um, Greek mythology. Yeah, but it's yeah. a bird and a woman. And if you've seen the movie The Last Unicorn, it has three breasts. Well, and so does what was that? Total Recall. No, yeah. Total yeah. Recall. Yeah. yeah, which 
that's a segue we didn't mean to get into. Okay, back to the White House. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also the yeah the fact that the mermaid was more true to what the mythology of what mermaids are and mm-hmm. uh, you know whereas yeah like a siren more than anything else um, also like so I have a weird thing with birds I have an uneasy relationship with birds so the well, seagulls you really like the seagull scene oh yeah <laughs> well not so much that but it was just like how the seagull was kind of like hounding him I was just like I feel like especially like when I go out to the Isles of Shoals and like I've been like hounded by birds a couple times I was just like yeah they do that they do they, they're not they're, they're there to make your life a little bit more miserable mm-hmm. uh, I mean it's funny we talk about this and I came into this whole thing this this talk like just like oh god I didn't like the movie and it, but sometimes I think I, I didn't like it because it didn't it wasn't how I thought it was going to go sure it was, it's not even that it's that it, it didn't give me the the ending it, it didn't and we, we kind of talked about this before we got out of the podcast but it like didn't it didn't tell me how it ended. Right. It, it, we didn't go through, and so I have my own interpretation of it. Right. And then, of course, I had to, like, well, God, okay, great. Now I need to talk to somebody about it. That's right. why I wanted to talk to you. You know, there's a ton of mythology in it. There's a ton of, of, of historically accurate mythology that's in this. And while watching it, you know, and I sat there going, all right, well, at one point I was like, these are two guys, Lighthouse, blah, 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 what's right. the, and then I'm like, well, no, this is really one guy and two you know, in his descent into madness, right? And it's in and in the the scene, and now we're getting to all the spoiler, spoiler alerts, which I can say all this stuff, and I can totally be wrong. So right. I still go see the movie, but you know, I just sat there going, okay, well, there's the, this moment, which I think was the giveaway for me that made me go, oh, okay, cool. So if you're paying attention and you get to the point where he says, yeah, my name's Tom too. I lied to you before, and right. that whole thing, and then you go, okay, that's how I know that these are the same guy, right? And then, so I thought that was brilliant. And, yep. and, and I loved that whole thing but then I sat there going okay my all time favorite movie that I, I think start to finish that's perfect in my book is still Fight Club right. whether it's because David Fincher did it whether he, you know the acting in it is, is great it's a great book to begin with and uh, you know I'd like to think it's because of Meatloaf that's that's it could be he, I mean you know its name is Robert Paulson right yeah. you know and uh, but but you know that that moment of realization for the audience when they go, oh my God, right. that's the same person. And then it, I feel like it's so subtle in the lighthouse right. and you don't get that, oh my God moment, unless you start thinking about it and you go, okay, well, that's why Willem Dafoe's character is limping because you get the scene before where Robert Pattinson's character falls off the lighthouse right. as he's painting it, you know? And so you, you wonder, okay, so this is just one guy's drunken spiral into madness where he ends up just dying lonely on it. Right. You know, and, and because of everything about it, I'm convincing myself. While we talk about this, I actually really liked the movie. I right. just, I just really wanted my feelings about what this ending was to right. be confirmed. Right. And uh, you know, it just, I just, yeah, I guess I just wanted that ending to be like, um, hey, Mr. Eggers, which I'd love to sit and talk to you. Right. Uh, but am I right, or right. did I totally miss it? And I need to go sure watch the movie again. He will He'll never talk, talk to it. He, I can see him on the streets and ask him. He'd be like, I don't know, what'd you think? Right. Cool, that's how it ended. Right. He'd be like, damn you, man. Right. Just let me inside your mind for like a I did minute. that uh, for Halloween. Like I said, I was, you know, was a joint costume. I was uh, Hopper from Stranger Things, but... Which, by the way, it was awesome. <laughs> thanks. But it was also like, that costume in and of itself is kind of nondescript. I really had to have uh, my friend Jenna, who was dressed as 11, mm-hmm. next to me to make it very clear. 
So when I and we were working opposite shifts, so like I came into work and a bunch of people were like, "Oh, are you this? Are you this?" And like, it just me being who I am. Every single time someone guessed wrong, I was like, "You got it, first guess." Because oh, it was Super Troopers, it was Indiana Jones, it was a couple other things, and, and I was like, "They're like, oh, Super Troopers." I'm like, "You got it." See, yep. I feel like if it was Super Troopers, it would have to be a little more obvious. Sure. If it, if it was Indiana Jones, you needed to have a whip. Well, and so my friend Kaylee was dressed as Indiana Jones, but so many people had problem like they couldn't see even though she had the whip she had the the leather jacket the fedora the sash bag and they're like so who are you supposed to be she's like like Tomb Raider a couple people but they're like who are you supposed to be she's like I'm Indiana Jones and they're like I don't see it I'm like why because she's a vagina like um, which was not on display I was going to say wait a minute yeah um, it wasn't sexy in Indiana Jones. It was just, I mean, let's be honest. Indiana Jones is sexy enough on his own. Harrison Ford, right? Yeah. Han Solo. If you can be Han Solo and and Indiana Jones, right. you're the coolest person in the world. Yeah, and especially because hands down, he played Rick Deckard, and that did nothing to change people's opinion because he didn't want to play that character. He tried to get out of the movie. So, really? Yeah. I guess I didn't know that. And. He, like it's interesting watching it now, like having that information, because um, he he did not he was just burnt out. He had just done Return of the Jedi, and um, he really didn't want to do it. And he didn't want to do another science fiction movie, so he tried to get out of it, and they wouldn't let him out of it. So he's like, I'm going to play this dude, like asshole, and he did. But it kind of contributed to the character a lot. Yeah, but and it made the movie a cult classic. Yeah. yeah, which is just kind of that's funny. I didn't. I guess I didn't know that. Yeah. And then I often, I just caught myself, I'm like, and then I do this. Is it Han Solo or Han Solo? Han Solo. Okay, because that's what I always say, and then I, but it's it's like... I do the same thing. I often just say Han Solo, and people, because usually bigger Star Wars nerds than me, they're like, ah, Han Solo. There is a, there is a bit in, did you see uh, Solo, a Star Wars story? Oh, yeah. Because there's that bit where Lando, Lando calls him hand and he, and goes, he goes it's Han yeah. oh yeah. yeah but I I laugh but it's just that mental thing where you just catch yourself like wait did I say that right yeah. but I always laugh too because and this is going down into another like film thing uh, I loved Solo yeah like I thought it was a great movie yeah and uh, it got panned by critics now granted it still made a billion dollars but it's the first Star Wars movie to lose money but did it really it did <laughs> it like it in the absolute sense, it did because they put more money into it than was returned on it. Um, when you take well, into account in the all the marketing market, no, 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 worldwide, they really? lost oh, money. Wow. Um, but oh. I think, and this is an interesting thing, uh, where I, I, where Disney and Marvel has done so well with their brands, and mm-hmm. as far as like every aspect of building the universe, um, you know building upon each successive movie I feel they're still tinkering with Star Wars um, which is weird because it's an established brand and it's been around longer but I think there was too much Star Wars overload because it came out five months after The Last Jedi and The Last Jedi polarized people so I think Solo was being punished for the sins of The Last Jedi not because of the film itself I think you're probably right. Although, and this is this is my thing, like Ron Howard directed it. Right. I like Ron Howard. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like he and I, as people, would get along if we ever sure. hung out. Maybe someday I can make that happen. Right. I would love to. But uh, but I love all of his movies. And the, the last, I mean, pretty much since Apollo 13, he's been panned by everybody. Right. Like, it, to the point where, have you seen uh, In the Heart of the Sea? 
Mm-mm. Okay, you need to watch that movie, and yeah. then let me know if you like it. Is it a Ron Howard movie? It's a Ron Howard movie. It's the, it's the tale of uh, Moby Dick, okay. but the story of how uh, of the author and how he got the story right. to then go on and write Moby Dick. Interesting. And so, Wait, is it Chris Hemsworth? Yeah. Oh, okay. And I freaking love that movie. Yeah. I love it. Like it was, I thought it was so well done. I mean, I love the story of Moby Dick. I, I love that. Which, by the way, you can also take a story of like Moby Dick and then look at the lighthouse and make an X. Right. Uh, uh, the similarities in that, but it's a it's another. And what was the other one that he did about? Um, it was called like Drive or Driven or something like that. The race car movie. Yeah, uh, Driven. Was yeah. it called Driven? Okay, yeah. and that got panned by critics. Right. Again, I watched that movie. I actually watched that movie with my dad, and we were both like, "Man, nice." It was a great movie. Well, it's a great story too. It's a, and it's a true story. Yeah, and it's a it's an amazing story. Yeah, and uh, and I loved that movie too. And I'm trying to think of other Ron Howard movies that I've watched, and, and just just remember, like, I felt like, wow, okay, like Apollo 13 happened, and then everybody was like, yeah, Ron Howard, whatever. But he's done so many in my mind great movies, right. and I'm like, why does this guy keep getting pained? Right. In defense of Ron Howard, it's my new podcast. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> to go on a little tangent of, since Chris Hemsworth was in both of those films, um, you, you've seen Avengers Endgame, right? Yep. I saw it a few times, and it's, I mean, I think it's great, and it's sort of a testament to the, you know, the 10 years, or at this point, 11 years that they had built Marvel, but, and across the board, phenomenal performances, like, like yeah. way beyond what you would expect or even need in a superhero movie but transcend it but I for my money because I saw it three times in the theater and I've watched it once on home video uh-huh. uh, Chris Hemsworth's performance in that is devastating it is epic it is I loved it well and it's interesting because so many people particularly with the part where Thor is heavy people think that it's done for comedic effect and you can look at it at that base level but it's like no this is someone who's gone through a traumatic event and yeah. this is how that's how he dealt with it that's how he dealt with it. and that's how many people deal with it yeah. and, and also I love the fact that like sorry for spoiler for the biggest film of all time so if you haven't seen it now uh, um, you, you should probably go see it right but when he again becomes worthy yeah. and he gets the armor back I love that his physicality does not revert back to what he was. No. He's still the per like talking about someone who's gone through something and grown yeah. through it. It doesn't negate where he is physically in his life, but it's it's informed who his character now is. Yeah, it, it, actually, the weird thing about that whole choice as it, for a character, especially for Thor, it, it humanizes him, even right. though he's not a human. Right. Uh, I don't know. I loved it. I also love the fact that like you're watching that movie, and all I could think of is what well, the dude abides. Right. Like I like literally went through the, down that whole road, and I was like watching, going, "This is the greatest moment." I applaud, you know, I, I applaud, you know, Chris Helmsworth as an actor right. for not shying away from that in any way, shape, or form. Right. Not that I think he would, and also in the heart in the heart of the sea, he lost a ton of weight for that right. movie. Right. Um, so, but I, and not that I think that he put on all that weight for the movie. I, Right, I don't actually know, but they, he's wearing a suit, and then they like basically covered up the seams with CGI. Yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, I, just like that's he did that's, grow the beard though, because he spent a year. I wish I could grow a beard like that. Right. I, I, I have this fantasy in my head. I'm like, I just want to have like dreadlocks and a big old beard, right? And then just hide. Then, like in my mind, that would be cool. You know, this is day two of my three month winter beard. Oh, this last is year too. I shaved last week. Right. You like that? It's very nice. Did you see anything? Yeah. 
very nice. <laughs> um, no, but like again, I, Avengers I thought was a great freaking movie, yeah. and, and it took chances in a way that like you know even throughout all of. I mean, I'm getting weirdly ahead of myself in my whole thought process here, but I look at Avengers and how it's this huge movie, and one of the biggest reasons I look at that and think all of that, all the people and all the money and whatever, I don't think it ever would have happened had Robert Downey Jr. not been cast as Iron Man in the first Iron Man, which is a brilliant freaking movie and a brilliant casting for a character for Tony Stark, because right. I can't imagine anybody else sure. doing it. And I, and I love the fact that Robert Downey Jr., whatever, 10 years prior to that, was in jail and, and, and everybody wrote off right. him as an actor and his career was over and, and all this stuff and when you talk about somebody going through something right. and we are live at, uh, at Barnes & Noble right now so there is some announcement going on but you, know, you talk about a, an individual going through something that reshapes their life for the better and makes them you know transforms them as a person and, and seeing Robert Downey Jr. go through what he went through and then seeing him come out the other end and do a movie like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang right. for his first film back after right. getting out of jail and rehab and all whatever he'd gone through um, with his addiction and, and then making that movie and when you watch that movie you see Tony Stark right. which is what I love right. and then you go on and you see the, the first Iron Man movie and you're like yeah I know that character right. and then you, you get to see this guy's um, you know acting progress to a point where he's just a force to be reckoned with right. and, and in the role of, of Iron Man and I and I think about the Avengers success and the Marvel success and I look at it and I always go back to that first Iron Man movie going even that not being any kind of superhero movie it's a great movie right. and it's cast so well right. and he is so good in it yeah I also love the fact that um, you know because they've done a lot of retrospective stuff on the first 10 years of Marvel now mm-hmm. that John Favreau stuck to his gut because John Favreau directed the first Iron Man he mm-hmm. did the first two Iron Man movies. love that guy and, by the way but he fought for Robert Downey Jr. because he Robert Downey Jr. was not a bankable star at that point no and they're like mm, who else do you have on the list he's like no this guy's the only guy that can play this part and uh, good you know and because and, 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 I can't imagine anybody else doing that role no like no, no. And it's interesting because they did, I think, I really feel like Marvel, um, regardless of what Martin Scorsese is saying about how it's ruining cinema, I think in a lot of ways it has raised stuff by casting amazing actors in these roles. Mm -hmm. And because it it is modern day Robin Hood, it is, you know, it is our modern mythology. So kind of lending a gravitas to it that comic book movies really hadn't had before yeah um it makes us appreciate these characters in a different way because like i've talked to friends who are big comic book fans and i was like i don't love captain america but i love chris evans captain america i totally agree with that statement i was going to interrupt you i'd be like wait a minute what but the the very first captain america movie again loved it yeah because whether or not it was a superhero movie as we like to say it, it was a great movie right and Chris Evans was awesome in yeah it. and um, it's really weird talking about comic book movies right now and uh, a friend of mine's comic book Disney had a whole bunch of two years I think mm-hmm. invested or at least a year invested in making his movie uh, from his comic book Mouse Guard and it was all supposed to happen and they canned it yeah so Disney spent like and I feel for him now he's got to wait however many years in order to have the rights movie rights to do his but and it made me look at it because I was like the names that were 
um, already they they started casting for the voices for Mouse Guard. Um, some of, and I can never pronounce his name, and I'm gonna not attempt to. But John Bon Jovi. N- Jesus Christ, no! Why that? How did that name come up to you, man? Just that was the first one that popped into my head. Anyways, <laughs> I'm sorry. That was the first name that popped in your head. <laughs> Wow, like, that totally derailed your. <laughs> you did, sorry. but uh, no. But anyways, but like they were, ta- they were, they were definitely casting all these names for this film, and it looked like, and I was super stoked for him. He, you know, he's an amazing artist. It was a great comic book. Um, you know, it, it it reshaped his life and career as an artist and uh, as a comic book artist and storyteller and everything like that. And I was so excited to see where this was going to go and have right. it be like a, a like a national cinematic release, right. and then to see. You know, a, a giant like Disney go. Okay, yeah. Well, I know we put a few million dollars into that. We've decided not to do it. Right. Like our test stuff, and then so the director who I think did the last couple of um, Planet of the Apes. He was a guy that was behind it. His name is escaping me right now. But um, he basically was like, "Well, I don't care what they do. I'm going to release this." And he released it on YouTube, and it was out there for a while. It may have been taken down. But you look at like the test footage that they had done. Yeah. And I was like. Who wouldn't see this movie? Right. Like I just sat there going, "This is this is this would have, would have been an epic. It would have been great." And uh, I don't know. So again, you look at that kind of stuff and you go, "Oh well." Big production studios can kind of go, "Oh yeah, well, whatever." Right. Whereas I, as an independent filmmaker, I'm like, "Oh my god, I would to, the table scraps from what that budget was." Right. I would I would love to have just had that to make right. something that somebody would have thought, ah, we'll throw it away, we'll throw it up on YouTube, right. ah, whatever, who cares. It'd be interesting, though, to see if it's, like, a similar to, like, Rob Zombie's story with his first film, House of a Thousand Corpses, where a studio, you know, made it and then discarded it, and then something else comes of it later. Yeah, well, and then, the, you know, he shops it to Lionsgate, who releases right. it, and ten years later, Universal, who dropped it, you know, originally, then it's now an attraction. Yeah, it's a theme park. Which if Rob Zombie, if you're listening, please reach out to right. us. We, I, <laughs> I, uh, yeah. <laughs> we got ideas and plans, yeah, sir. Ideas and plans. Um, but, you know. So, because I know we've, we, 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 we've had a lot of, like, branches of a tree. We have, but this. I want to go back to Lighthouse. Yeah. Your interpretation of the ending of that movie. Because I hope I'm right, but I, if I'm wrong, I want to know. I, what I it honestly is. didn't really have a specific interpretation of it, um, but I also it was weird because when I walked out of that movie, when because I, I went directly from there to work, and yeah, a bunch of people were like, "Are you okay?" Oh, I yeah. was like, "Yeah." I was like, "Yeah." I just experienced something, and they're like, "What just happened?" I was like, "Oh, I went to the movies," and they're <laughs> like, which I often do before work. And they're like, "What'd you see?" I said, "The lighthouse," and they're like. Was it good? And I was like, yes, question mark. And I do think it was good, but it was, they're like, it was more like, oh, so do you recommend it? I was like, I don't know. I was like, to some people, certainly. Mm -hmm. And and, and it's not an easy, because again, there's some film, I think, are universal that everyone should see. Some, there are films that six people should see. And, you know, and it's, you know, it's somewhere in between those two, but it really depends on what you appreciate in a film. Yeah. Um, If, if, if you're one of those people that, like my buddy Greg, who's often on this podcast, is like, yeah, but what happened in the movie? I'm like, you won't, if that's your concern, this is not a movie for you. I think you might have just tapped into what it was that disturbed me. So for me, movies are always about story. It's like story, 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 story. Like I always feel like that's, and with a story, you need to have a good end. Or there has to be a, you know, that thing that brings you to a, a moment of like, oh, okay. 
with the lighthouse, I never got that. So therefore, I was always like, man, like, what was it in the ending of this movie that made this whole? Like, what is the whole story? And because right. you don't get that, same thing with the witch, you don't really get that. I feel like I'm left out, right. or I'm left wanting more. And then now I have to sit here and defend Robert Eggers, even though I before I was kind of frustrated with him. Right. Is what a masterful thing to do because you've now made people reflect on your film over and over and over again in order to find the meaning which you've left up to them. Sure, and you refuse to. So I don't know. Maybe I just, the guy, I, I, genius. I think he's a great filmmaker. I just want him to give me the ending that. He doesn't want to give me, damn it. It's interesting because just as you were talking about this, I drew a, I drew like something that I had never really thought tangibly about until you were talking about drawing a connection to my artwork. So I do uh, one of the things that I do. I I draw and paint a lot of figures, specifically a lot of female forms. Mm -hmm. But a lot of what I do is not an entire figure. It's often like a part of the head is cropped out a lot of times and. What's interesting to me, because I do a lot of my own reference photos, is right. I feel like um, I, I think a lot of times I do that is it draws your attention to parts of the body or the way the body moves in a way that you wouldn't necessarily pay attention to certain things if you were looking at the person as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and this gets into possibly tricky territory because it, it's could literally be seen as objectifying a woman but I also being 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 someone who collaborates with my subjects it's it, it, it's something that they're participating in so oh, I'm right. just like but and I've had this conversation with people too because a lot of people don't realize that I'm not just pulling images from the internet that it's someone that somebody I'm, that you know yeah and it's, you and it's a collaborative thing and I'm like this yeah. is what I'm trying to do but I was like doing that puts a focus on certain aspects of the human form which you wouldn't necessarily be focusing on in and of itself you're looking at the whole of a person where I think leaving his movies open ended it has you examine like the character not necessarily of what's happening yes so you're looking at a part of a film which is now the focus of the entire thing rather than the entire story do you know what I mean oh I know exactly what you mean and and I think throughout this conversation I really do I think I've changed my mind that it it was kind of a genius movie right even though you know a couple hours ago I was still struggling with it trying to figure out um and go ahead sorry well certainly one of the films that has had the biggest impact on me this year um Mm -hmm. guy I work with who is very into the Marvel movies and you know superhero movies in general and you know I saw the second Spider-Man or the seventh depending on how you look at it Spider-Man movie this year and had a perfectly entertaining time when I was there and couldn't tell you hardly anything that happened in it within an hour after seeing it. And he'll keep bringing it up and be like, do you remember that point? And I was like, Michael, I don't. And he's just like, <laughs> I thought you saw it. I was like, I did. I did. It just didn't I was have like, any it didn't have it. Yeah, I was just like, it was entertaining, but I, yeah. there was nothing in it that I carried with me once I left the cinema. And there was a lot in this movie that I carried with me, so... Yeah, to me, it, it was a great movie. What's really interesting, too, and this just kind of popped in my head about in defense of Robert Eggers, which is now my new thesis, <laughs> uh, being a fan of Stephen King. Yep. And then, like, so we were just watching Castle Rock, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that did the same thing to me. And a lot of Stephen King stuff does the same, same thing to me, yep. where there's these great characters or these great moments or great idiosyncrasies in the storytelling where it's not... <laughs> 
so much a scary thing or it's just a there's just something that happens just supernatural or whatever with all of his films and there's right. so many of them and so many of his books and um and so many of them I love but you don't get a definitive like the first season of Castle Rock ends and you're like whoa whoa what what right you know what I mean? Like yeah. you're like, wait, there's a build up to all of this, and now it's left. There, there's, there's, there's a minute of the film that it has now lent to my speculation of what this whole season that I watched right. is about, right. and I'm frustrated by that. Right. And then I have to look inward and go, well, and then in my mind, I'm like, well, it's Stephen King, he's a genius, and that was horror-ish, and you know, right. psychologically, whatever. And there's these great moments, and what did I just watch? And you think about it, but you go at the end of it all you're like Stephen King is a genius and okay I can get that and Robert Eggers I'm like criticizing because you didn't give me the ending I wanted right. and now I'm like yeah Stephen King doesn't do it either and yet I love him so Robert Eggers if you are listening thank you because I think I appreciate this whole journey right. that I went on weeks now after watching it right. more because I haven't stopped thinking about it it's always kind of percolated in the back of my mind and then I did I watched a bunch of Stephen King stuff watched it you know what I mean like just watched whatever various things and I was like well, I think part of that is, and I'm not disputing Stephen King's genius as a, a master storyteller, yeah. but he's also, and I don't mean this in a negative way at all, but he is a brand at this point. Whereas if yeah. you say, oh, it's based on a Stephen King book, there's a certain amount of people that are like, oh, I'm in, regardless of, you don't have to explain further, right. which when... A couple people, you know, there's a guy that I work with who has similar sensibility to me cinematically, and he told me about this a couple months ago. He's like, have you seen the trailer for The Lighthouse? I was like, I don't know what that is. He's like, this is the director of The Witch. I was like, all right, stop there. I want to see it. Right. And he's like, well, let me tell you. I was like, you can tell me, but I'm going to see it. Yeah. I was like, because I thought The Witch was fantastic, and regardless of what this is about, it'll be interesting. Yes, it's definitely it's an interesting it's it's just an interesting watch and ride to be on. And I will say Willem Dafoe in that and Robert Pattinson. Yeah, but Willem Dafoe has moments where you're like, I don't know how he just got all of that out. Right, right. Like the the, the amount of dialogue and the amount of just right. just acting and in the the manner of the dialogue right. and the intensity in which right. you're just like like I just sat there and in awe of him in certain scenes as an actor yeah I was just like Phew. so yeah I was it's, it's interesting because I was impressed by him but I'm I mean Willem Dafoe's an amazing actor and even in stuff even in films that aren't great themselves he always delivers Green um, Goblin yeah did you see um, The Florida Project yes and I hated that movie it's uh, I don't think it's a, a great film it's interesting but what I said to you know, because that came out, I think it was two years ago, and because mm-hmm. he was amazing in it, but I was like, I was like, you know, a movie is bleak when Willem Dafoe is playing the most uplifting character in a movie. Yes, and his greatest scene is at the Coke machine. Yeah, yeah, it, that, that that's that's. It, I, I felt like I suffered through that movie. Yeah, for that scene. Well, and it's such a, it's it's such a between the lines thing because you know exactly what is being discussed where none of it is actually spoken in words what's yeah. happening in it but it's just uh, it's one of those moments you're like I know moments like this happen in real life and thank god there's people out there who have the intestinal fortitude to stand up that way absolutely but uh, and it's too much to kind of unpack in this conversation what that's about but yeah but um uh 
getting back to what I was kind of saying was that like I went in expecting a great performance from Willem Dafoe. I definitely got it, but this um, I'd seen this movie uh, High Life that Robert Pattinson was in earlier this year. It's a sci-fi movie, but it's a, like a sci-fi drama more than anything. And that and this, I was just like, okay, I'm fully on board with him playing Batman next. He could, I mean, the guy can act. Right. That's for sure. And which I never would have said after seeing any of the Twilight movies, which right. I saw one and that was too much. Right. Um, it, you know, and, and then I also, you know, I can't even tell you anything else that he's been in, but I'll check out the one you just said. Yeah. But, you know, the Willem Dafoe as a guy who, I mean, he, there is, like the Florida Project, is as much as I did not like that film and again it boiled down to the ending where I just thought that ending to that film was hey cool and then they ran off to Disneyland right Right. and I, I was just like did they run on a budget and they were like here let's sneak a camera into Disneyland with two little girls running around right like that's what I felt and I was like I felt like there was in my opinion there was a lot more that could have been accomplished with the ending of that movie sure. by, by having a poignant ending but, so Dis- Disney World, not Disneyland. Oh, sorry. Sometimes I get... Remember that band Dada that did that song I'm doing, I'm going to Disneyland? Right. Yeah. It might be where that comes right. from. Right. Where the, when they had I this... grew up in Miami, so right. Disneyland. Right. <laughs> Versus Disney World. Wait, Ooh. no. Disney World's in Crap. Florida. Disneyland is in It's LA. weird because so Disneyland is the original, but Disney World's about five times the size of it yes yeah. Um, and then they did Euro Disney for a while that right. failed I think the Japanese one was there too but still Disney just scares me it's like an empire right it's striking back right so, um, so to wrap this up only because I have to go to <laughs> you work, work soon because um, I just I do a numerical attachment to this wood out of a ten you know uh Ten being Apocalypse Now or The Godfather Ooh. Two or what, and one being Jexy. What, what would you? Uh, which came out this year? It's the it's the new standard bear. I haven't actually even talked about it on this podcast oh, yet, but it'll be on the next episode. It it, it 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 takes the takes the title for the worst film I've ever seen. I saw it a couple of weeks ago. Wow. Uh, so what would you give The Lighthouse? Okay, before I got here today. Yeah. Before I got here today, I was probably hovering around a four. Okay. I can honestly tell you, after thinking about it even more, discussing this with you, and then also thinking about it as uh, a piece of art with a... I'm going to go with probably a seven or eight. Like, I definitely changed it based on the fact that I'm like, I have more admiration for Robert Eggers. Sure. Which is sure. a really weird thing because I had a conversation with somebody else about it and they hadn't even seen it and all I did was go, in a, right. my frustration with it. And, uh, but yeah, definitely, uh, yeah, seven and a half. Yeah, I'd, I'd give it a good solid seven myself. I was toying with eight, but I was like, well, it's not something that I'm probably going to pick up anytime soon to watch again, but I probably will show it to some people. That's like, the thing about it. Like, I'll probably never watch it again, or if I do, it'll be in a month or two. Right. Um, or when it's available to download kind right. of thing. Um, but that said, I've thought about this movie since I've seen it. Yeah. So that is an accomplishment in and of itself, because there's movies, as you just mentioned, Spider-Man 2 or 7 or whatever it was, mm-hmm. where you can see a movie walk out of the theater the next day not even remember anything about it like how it ended what was it about who was in it I don't know yeah you know and so and and just the fact that it is something it was a piece of art that had an effect on both of us you know days and more than a week yeah. after seeing it 
it was an effective piece of art. So, totally is. Yeah. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and to be honest, I tend to like those things more. Again, to use a musical analogy, I remember the first time I heard, going back to we had just talked about Appetite for Destruction, and then I had mentioned Pearl Jam's 10. So I remember the first time I heard Pearl Jam, and I hated them because I was a fan of Mother Love Bone sure. and Green River right? and like those Seattle bands. And I just remember being like, ugh, I hate this band. And then the third time I listened to it, I was like, ah, oh, I really like this. Right. This is kind of genius. Right. Damn, the drummer's really good, too. Right. All right, I like this band a lot. Right. And then years go by, and I'm like, yeah, then that's our generation's Led Zeppelin. Right. <laughs> so, sure. Go figure. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, hey, thanks for hanging and coffeeing and always <laughs> jabbering. Can't wait for the next time. Right. Nice. Cool.